This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. So we have been in a series called Upper Room, and we've been looking at John 13 through 17 as Jesus, the night before he goes to the cross, is, is pouring out truth into his disciples, preparing them for what is to come. And the Upper Room Discourse finishes with a prayer, sometimes called the High Priestly Prayer, of Jesus, and it, and it encompasses all of chapter 17. So what we're going to do is this week and next, we're going to look at this prayer, the prayer of Jesus, in two parts. And so today we're looking at the first part, which is in, chapter, in, in verses 1 through 19. And so if you'll take your copy of God's Word, and let's look at John chapter 17, and begin with verse 1. Follow along in your copy of, of God's Word as we walk through it. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Let's pray. <clears throat> Fathers, we come to this, this prayer of, of Jesus. There are, there are such riches here, unsearchable riches, and, and glorious wonders in this prayer. 
And we, we pray that you would open your, your word, open our minds and our hearts that we would behold wonderful things in your word today. And so, Lord, would you speak in the power of your spirit by your word that your son would be exalted. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Have you ever thought about what some of the great movies that you've seen would, would be like if there was no musical score that was playing in the background? I mean, you think about something like Star Wars, for instance. What, what would that be like without John Williams' masterful composition that was, that's playing in the background. I mean, movies just would not be nearly as dramatic or as powerful without that, that musical score that we don't even really think about as we're watching the movie. But if that were to be taken away, if the music were to be taken away, then the drama of what we're seeing would be diminished. Well, the Gospel of John is a drama. And if you were to imagine the music playing in the background, that the music would be rising at this point, and it would be reaching its climax as we get into the 17th chapter of John in this high priestly prayer of Jesus. So what do we see in the first part of this prayer? The first thing that we see is that Jesus prays for God's glory in verses 1 through 5. Let's look beginning with verse 1. Jesus spoke these things looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. So Jesus begins this prayer with the words, Father, the hour has come. So throughout the Gospel of John, that the term hour is, is very important. And we talked before that, that when Jesus refers to his hour, it, it's referring to not only his crucifixion, but also his resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, and eventually his return. And so it's an eschatological term. It's, it's referring to the end times. And so when we think about the end times, we, we should not really necessarily think about something that's not here yet. It is here. The, the end times were, were inaugurated here with the, with the arrest and with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, and the end times will be consummated with the return of Christ. And so we, we are living in that time now, the, the hour that Jesus refers to. The first time that Jesus refers to his hour, it's at the wedding in Cana in chapter 2, and before Jesus turns the water into wine, he says, my hour has not yet come. And then, and we see it again in chapter 7, when it says the authorities tried to seize him, but they could not lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And that is repeated again in chapter 8 and verse 20. Uh, they tried to arrest him at that time, but they could not because his hour had not yet come. But then after Jesus comes into Jerusalem for that final week, for Passion Week, Jesus says in chapter 12 and verse 23, my hour has come. And now in chapter 17 and verse 1, he repeats this. He begins his prayer by saying, Father, the, the hour has come. This is the moment that, that all of creation has been waiting for. 
Ever since humanity was plunged into the ruin caused by sin in Genesis chapter 3, Ever since that moment when people were plunged into ruin, they have been waiting for this moment, which is the moment of redemption. And when that happened, when humanity fell into sin, in Genesis 3, God gave a promise that one day redemption was coming. And God says to Satan, personified in the, in the serpent, the snake, he says in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Well, on this night, this is about to come to fruition because Satan, uh, Judas has already left the room. The plan has been put in motion for Jesus' betrayal and arrest. He's going to be arrested in the garden later on that night. He's going to be crucified the next day. And, and, the, and the snake, the serpent, is going to strike. And Jesus is going to allow himself to be struck by the enemy on our behalf. But in the process of being struck... Jesus is going to crush the head of the snake. He's going to crush Satan's head. Look at verse 1 again. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Now here we see the the beautiful beautiful, uh, happening of the persons of the Trinity in their mutual desire to to glorify one another. The Father wants to honor and glorify the Son. The Son wants to honor and glorify the Father. Jesus, throughout the upper room discourse, has talked about the Holy Spirit. He says, it's good that I'm going away, because if I don't go away, the Spirit, the Counselor, will not come. And so Jesus is, is, is putting forth and honoring the Spirit, and the Spirit opens the eyes of our hearts so that we can be brought to the Father by way of the Son. So all three persons of the Trinity are, are honoring and seeking the glory of one another, which is such a model for our own relationships, right? Getting ourselves out of the way and honoring one another uh, above our, ourselves. It was, it was so great, uh, whoever you pull for in, in basketball, but it's been really cool throughout this NCAA tournament to see North Carolina's coach Hubert Davis, who is a, a, a godly brother in Christ. But what's so wonderful is that, you know, he's his first year as coach and the, the team has gone to the Final Four and all of that, and everybody wants to talk to him and put him on a pedestal, but he always, he, sometimes he won't even talk. Sometimes he just says, talk to my players. You know, it's about them. He wants, he wants them put forward, right? And that's what we see in the persons of the Trinity, right? They're putting, they're putting one another forward. Jesus says, glorify, Father, glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you gave him, verse 2, authority over all people. So the Father has given the Son authority over all people. We, we see this at the end of, of Matthew, right before Jesus gives the Great Commission. What does he say in Matthew 28, 18? Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 25 and following, it says of Jesus that he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Jesus is the king, the king of kings and Lord of lords. So how are we to make sense of the fact that the king of kings and Lord of lords is going to, later on this night, allow himself to be taken, arrested, and then nailed to a cross the next day? Well, the answer is in the latter part of here, of verse two here. You gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. How can sinners like us be reconciled to a holy God who hates sin? How can sinners like us even stand in the presence of a holy God without being incinerated? It is is only because the one who had no sin allowed sin to to, to be born in his body on the cross so that he took, Jesus took our sin so that we could take his righteousness and be clothed in his righteousness so that we can stand in the presence of a righteous and, and holy God. Second Corinthians five twenty one says that he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Notice the language here also in verse 2 about believers being given, given. Um, Jesus says here, "So, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. And so Jesus says here that the that the Father has has given a number of people to him. He's given believers to him. Now we see this language. Again, in verse 6, if you look at verse 6, Jesus prays there, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. We see it again in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Now this is not the first time that we that you see this in the gospel of John. It runs throughout the gospel of John. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 6 of John. John chapter 6 and let's look there beginning with verse 37. John chapter 6 and beginning with verse 37. What does Jesus say here? He says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, 
but should raise them up at the last day. Turn over to chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. John 10. And let's look beginning with verse 27. John 10 and and beginning with verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So again and again and again and again, Jesus speaks of, of believers as those that the Father has, has given him. Now, this takes us into deep waters, right? The deep waters of the doctrine of election, which a lot of times we want to run from, but we should not run from that. We should rejoice in that <laughs> because it is meant as a comfort because it means that if you are in Christ, that God knew you and saw you and loved you long before you were ever born. In fact, before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 and verses 4 and 5 says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And when we think about this, you know, we, there's obviously there's mystery here to be sure, and we should be humble about this. We don't have all the answers, right? This goes to the heart of the sovereignty of, of God, and there's always mystery in that um, when it comes to the doctrine of, of election. But, but here's what's absolutely clear to us, right? We think about something like election. That's God's side of things. That's his business. What is our side of things? What is our business? What is the task that God has given to us? Go and preach the gospel to every person. Every person. Every person on earth. That's the assignment that he has given to us to go and proclaim the gospel. And, 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 and as we, we do that, we can be encouraged, right, that God is going to be at work in the hearts of people and doing things that we cannot do. And that he has his people that have been given to Jesus who are going to come to Christ as we faithfully proclaim the gospel. I think about something that happens um, in Corinth. Acts 18 uh, tells us about it. So Paul was in the city of Corinth, and he's sharing the gospel with people and, and doing evangelism and seeking to plant a church in Corinth. And there's, there's opposition. There's persecution that's going on. He's tempted to be discouraged. And God comes to Paul one night in a, in a dream, in a vision in Corinth. And it says, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you because I have many people in this city. Who are the many people in the city of Corinth that God was talking about? He's talking about people who had not yet come to Christ, but who were going to come to Christ as Paul was faithful to continue speaking the gospel. 
And you know what? There are people in your life like that. There are people in your life that may appear to be very, very far from God, maybe even very hardened towards the things of God. It could be people in your, in your family, could be friends, it could be people that you, that you work with, people that you go to school with. They are in your sphere of influence and you love them and you care about them and they seem so far from God. But let me tell you something, God can do what we cannot do. And so you be faithful to intercede for them. You bring those people by name before the throne of grace and pray for the spirit of God to work in their hearts. And then you be faithful to speak about Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel. And the spirit of God will do the rest. It was that way in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, and 5, Paul says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You get out there, and you're faithful to have gospel conversations with people, and you'll see the Spirit of God doing things in their lives that, that we could never do. Let's look at verses three through, through five. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Now here we see another theme that runs through the Gospel of John, and it's the way that the Gospel of John begins, and that is the eternality of Jesus. There was never a time when Jesus was not. He did not have a beginning. He was there in the beginning. What do we see at the very beginning of the Gospel of John? Turn back to the first chapter, very, very beginning of this Gospel, John 1 and verses 1 and 2. John 1 and verses 1 and 2. John uses the term word here to refer to Jesus. And he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus did not have a beginning because he was there in the beginning. <laughs> right? There was never a time when Jesus was not and that's exactly what he is saying here in, in verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Imagine the, the glory that Jesus left to come to this earth and rescue us. The glory that he had enjoyed from all eternity instead of grasping onto that as Philippians 2 says he came to us to rescue us what love the second thing that we see here in at the beginning of, of, of chapter 17 is that Jesus prays for his disciples in verses 6 and following Jesus now prays for these guys who are, are with him in the upper room but the the, the things that he 
prays for his disciples on that night, so many of them transfer to us as 21st century disciples. Let's pick it up here, beginning with verse 6. He says, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Now Jesus here in verse 11 is is praying for the protection of, of the believers. He's praying that the Father will will protect them because he knows what they're going to be facing. And Jesus has already spoken about this in the upper room. Let's go back to chapter 15. Go back to chapter 15 and and look there beginning with verse 18. So in chapter 15 and beginning with verse 18, we, we saw that Jesus tells them, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Look down at chapter 16 and verse 2. Chapter 16 and verse 2, Jesus tells them, they will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. And so Jesus has, has warned them time and time again that, that persecution is is coming. And so now he's, he's praying for them, and he's praying for their protection, but not just for their protection from persecution, which will come from the outside, outside of the church, but also that they would be protected from disunity that can happen inside the church. Because look at verse 11 again. Jesus says, Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. In other words, Jesus is praying that not only will God protect them from the persecution which will descend from outside of the church, but that God would protect them from a a disruption of the oneness that we are to have within the church, that God would protect them from disunity in the church. Because listen, Jesus knows that you know, if Satan can't get to them from persecution coming from the outside, 
then he'll try to, 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 to mess with their fellowship on the inside and disrupt the oneness and the unity that they are, we are meant to have in Christ. So, so Christ is praying here that we would be protected from, from this unity, that our oneness in Christ would be uh, protected. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Listen, the idea that Jesus would lose anyone that the Father has given him is ridiculous. Jesus doesn't lose believers. Jesus builds believers. Jesus completes the work, the good work that he began in believers. The good work that he began in your life, the day that he saved you, he is going to carry on to completion. And we saw in chapter 10, no one can snatch, can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How encouraging is that? And, and here in, in verse 13, Jesus says, Now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed, completed in them. Jesus finishes the good work that he begins in the lives of believers. We say, well, what about Judas? Jesus speaks, speaking here of, 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 of Judas in verse 12. Not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. You say, well, Judas was lost, but Judas was never a believer. He was never a believer. Chapter 6 and verse 64 makes that very clear. If you look back to chapter 6 of John and verse 64 It says, uh, speaking of, of Judas, Jesus says there, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. So, so Judas is not a situation of a believer being lost. Judas was never a believer. Look at verses 14 through through 16. Jesus prays, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the, the world. Now, Jesus here is talking about the balance that we walk in the Christian life. And that is that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And Jesus says here, Father, I'm, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you would protect them within the world. And so the, 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 the way that we are to live the Christian life is not in isolation from the world. If we isolate ourselves 
from the world, from lost people, then how can people be saved? How can we make a difference in this lost world if, if we isolate ourselves from, from the world? So Jesus says, I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them within the world. So the way that we are to live the Christian life is not through isolation, but insulation. <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are to be insulated, right? Armored up with the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, right? And protected. God protects us. As we do life in this world, we, we, have, we have the armor of God. We have the, we, God protects his own so that we can engage with people who are in the world, right? We cannot isolate ourselves from them. People need the Lord, and they need people like you and me who are to be a part of their lives so that we can love them and share the gospel with them. Otherwise, how can people be saved? Jesus prays for our sanctification here in verse 17. He prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To be sanctified means to be set apart for the purposes of God. And the Spirit does that through the word. The word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God works through the word to grow us, to sanctify us, to, to, to make us more and more like Christ. And the word sanctify is, is related to the word holy. God makes us holy, but he doesn't make us holy so that we can hide out in a holy huddle. <laughs> he makes us holy so that we can be sent out into the world, which is the very next thing that Jesus praise. Verse 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Here's the cool thing about sending. Our church has been a great sending church in many ways. Last week you heard from Don Davidson, one of, one of our church's own who was, came to know Christ here, was baptized here, um, nurtured here in kids' ministries and student ministries, and eventually ordained here and, and sent out as a, a pastor from here. I think about you know, people like Carrie uh, Chapel in Bangkok and so many, many others, dozens more that this church has, has, has sent out into the various fields of the world as pastors, missionaries. One of those is Will Gatling. Um, and this was an amazing thing. I had not planned for this. The first night that I was in India, we were, we were sitting down and we were visiting with sort of the, the, the main IMB couple that, God is used in such a wonderful way in this part of India. And so we're, we're visiting with them and we're sitting down and, and, and just exchanging testimonies. And so Glenn, our, our IMB, one of our IMB workers, begins to share his testimony. And so 
as a young man, he was, he was lost. He was an alcoholic. He was uh, in the building, building world, did carpentry work and things like that, and, and, and lived in, in, in Raleigh. He came to know Christ through like a radio ministry, but really hadn't been discipled. And so he gets a call from a church in Raleigh to come and do some work some, on, their, on their campus, some carpentry work. Um, and it was Bayleaf Baptist Church. And so he, he goes and he's on campus and he's doing this work and he meets one of their staff members, Will Gatling, who was a product of our church, that our church nurtured and sent out. And so now Will is serving on staff of this church and so in the providence of God, he meets Glenn. And Glenn becomes a part of that church family. And he gets discipled as a part of that church. And eventually God calls him to, uh, to international work through, through, that, through that process of discipleship. And so Glenn at that point is sent out. Sent out by churches just like ours that give so that workers can be sent out. And so Glenn and Rhonda are sent out and they end up in this part of India. And after they're there for a few years, and you know, the work was slow at first, and just uh, surrounded by just a sea of lostness, and uh, Glenn says, you know, at that point, we, did, we, we certainly didn't have the answers, but we knew that the answers were not, were not in our apartment, and so we just began to get out, and we began to meet people. <clears throat> and so... In the grace of God, one of the people that they, they met was a young man named Deeprash, who became like a, like a son to Glenn. And, and Glenn began to invest in his life. And Deeprash came to know the, the Lord, and he was discipled. And they began to share, they began to share Christ with Deeprash's Indian friends. And a process be- started of, of disciples making disciples and people pouring into others, and then them pouring into others, and the Spirit of God just lit a fire that has expanded into literally hundreds of thousands of believers and house churches in this part of of India. Now, think about this process. You've got a local church like ours that's and faithfully investing in people. And so people are sent out, like Will. Will is, Will is sent out. God puts him, him in a position to make a difference in Glenn's life. Glenn is sent out by churches like ours that give so that workers can be sent. And so Glenn is sent out, and Glenn is put in a position in India to impact the life of this young Indian man, and then through them, through that, a a movement is started that has impacted hundreds of thousands of people. God is great. God God is amazing. And see, you are sent every day when you when you rise and you go out into the world, you are sent on mission. There are people that you're going to encounter. There are 
people God has put in your sphere of influence, people that he's going to bring across your path every day. And it's a matter of us saying, Lord, I'm available to you. I don't know what this day holds, but I'm yours. And you're my king, and I'm available to you. And I'm available to love people. I'm available to speak to people. I'm available to speak the words of the gospel to people. Send me. Use me. You are sent on mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the incredible privilege that we have to be a part of what you're doing in this world every day. Every day we have that opportunity. Lord, help us to see the world with your eyes. Lord, help us to see every day as a precious, precious opportunity to be used of you as your sent ones. Lord, we thank you for sending your son who loved us and gave himself for us. As we just continue to pray right now, listen, I would, I would, I would ask you, do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Listen, he came, for, he came for you. Jesus was sent to rescue sinners like you and me. He took our sins upon himself. The one who had no sin became sin for us so that we can be reconciled to a holy God. Would you turn to Jesus and trust in him right now? Turn from trying to do life your own way apart from him. Turn to Jesus and trust. Say, Lord, I trust you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. And right now, I welcome you into my life as my Savior and Lord and King. And when that happens, we are sent on mission for the king. Would you say, Lord, I want my life to matter. I want my life to count. Every day, I want to be available to you. Lord, I am yours. Here am I. Send me to represent you, to speak in your name. Make me a vessel, a willing vessel. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 